0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turltow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from the greater Washington, D.C. area, we have two guests. We have Mark Organfusi, who is uh, Associate at Powers Pile Sutter and Verville, and also Peggy Tai, who's a principal there. Uh, First, Peggy, Mark, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today.
1: Thanks, Thanks, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Oh, my pleasure. And we're going to be diving today into 340B pricing. And I think it would be good if you could give an overview of what the 340B drug pricing program is.
1: Definitely. So I'm a pharmacist and a lawyer at Powers Law Firm. We are the largest 340B drug pricing practice within the nation. We're deeply involved with the 340B program. The 340B program is a drug pricing program um, for safety net providers, uh, critical hospitals and uh, covered entities such as federally qualified health centers and other grantees, Ryan White clinics, STD clinics, that serve as the backbone of the nation's healthcare safety net. And so what the 340B drug pricing program is, it allows these critical safety net providers to purchase at a discount covered outpatient drugs, that's FDA-approved prescription drugs um, that are manufactured by drug manufacturers that agree to participate in the program, by signing a pharmaceutical pricing agreement. They agree to offer their drugs, these manufacturers, at a 340B ceiling price. The entity purchases the drugs at that ceiling price, and it's twofold. They either can uh, pass that discount along to their patients, or they can sell the drugs, dispense the drugs, and the reimbursement that they receive from a, a private payer or federal payer, the difference between that reimbursement and the price at which they purchase the drug is the 340B savings, and they use those savings to fund those critical safety net services in the community. And that's extremely important to compliance professionals because it represents a major portion of the bottom line for a hospital for example. So the C-suite is always going to be paying attention to the 340B program and compliance. And it's important also because if a hospital or a clinic is non-compliant, they'll be responsible for repaying those discounts if determined that they're non-compliant. But I'll turn it over to my colleague Peggy Tai, who will explain more about the importance of the 340B program.
2: Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, great opening description of the 340B program. I'd like to talk about the 340B program um, as uh, some history. The Senators Kennedy and Hatch created this program back in 1992 when drug prices first started to rise exponentially, and this is a political compromise. Uh, Senator Kennedy had asked for drug pricing controls. And Senator Hatch, who was the conservative, said, no, over my dead body, we're not doing that. Let's come up with something else. So I think that history lesson is important to understand of why we have this system of 340 b drug discounts is that it was meant to give safety net providers discounts on drugs as given by the drug manufacturers. This is not a taxpayer-funded program. This is funded by the manufacturers. So I think that's an important fact to understand. Also, the use of the 340B savings for Ryan White Clinics, for hospitals, and for FQHCs, or otherwise known as community health centers, is um, on purpose allowed to be flexible. So the communities know best what they need in the community, and so there aren't prescriptive rules about the use of savings. Again, on purpose, by design, from these two authors of the bill since 1992.
0: Wow, it's fascinating history. And uh, you you don't often hear about programs designed specifically for flexibility. Now, as you're describing things, I see there's a risk here for both pharmaceutical manufacturers and for hospitals and clinics. Let's start with the pharma companies. It seems as if the greatest risk is mispricing. Is that correct? And if so, what should compliance teams there do to manage that risk?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You often hear about uh, covered entities and the safety net providers, but you know, you know, we don't really talk enough about manufacturer compliance. So it's a federal law. Manufacturers are required by the statute to offer that 340B ceiling price. Uh, and in exchange, their drugs are reimbursed on the Medicare Part B and Medicaid, which is a massive market for their products. So the the, the chief compliance concern for a manufacturer is not overcharging covered entities. They have to calculate their ceiling prices. It's a complex calculation. We can save that for another time, but they report their pricing uh, quarterly to the government, to HRSA, the Healthcare, Re- Healthcare Resources and Service Administration, which administers the 340B program. They have to ensure that their ceiling price data is accurate and that they're not overcharging covered entities. If they do overcharge covid and it's knowing and intentional, manufacturers may be subject to civil monetary penalties, which is excessive. It could be like $5,000 per instance of overcharge each time, each transaction. Um, but also, they could be terminated from the program. Both sides, covering and manufacturers, face termination for ongoing systematic knowing and intentional uh, uh, violations of the program's requirements. And if they're terminated from the program, that's a nuclear option. They lose reimbursement for their drugs under Medicare and Medicaid, which is major. So the key uh, compliance area for a manufacturer is ensuring that they're offering their drugs at the ceiling price to covered entities.
2: Yeah, Mark has lots of other uh, compliance uh, issues and ideas he can talk about for manufacturers. Um, There's also the ceiling price and civil monetary penalties that are attached to, misbehavior, or wrong behavior on the part of manufacturers in the 340B program, and there are other ways, the commensurate ways, if you will, for the safety net if they're not properly following the law, the rules, and the guidance. So compliance is incredibly important in the 340B program.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like there's a lot of risk there. Now, for hospitals and clinics, what should they be doing to ensure that these discounted uh, drugs get to the right patients?
1: Yeah, so that is a very interesting question. Ensuring that the discounted drugs get to the right patient. So that's sounds like it sounds in the statutory diversion prohibition, um, which is found directly in the 340 statute, and it prohibits those safety net providers from transferring drugs that were purchased under, with, at, under the 340 b program to a person, any person other than the patient of the healthcare provider. So for example, a hospital, um, has to look at what qualifies as the hospital's patient. And, you know, interestingly, the statute only mentions patient there, doesn't explain what a patient is. So in 1996, HRSA issued guidance with a three part definition of what, of what constitutes a patient. And hospitals, uh, clinics uh, should look at that guidance and incorporate that into their policies and procedures. Um, so the three part guidance is. Uh, they have to the, the, the healthcare provider has to maintain um, auditable records of the uh services the healthcare provided to an individual. That's a records maintenance test, has to be professional care. Uh that means a professional at the healthcare provider uh has to provide services such that responsibility for care remains with the health care provider. So some professional doesn't have to be a prescriber, it could be a nurse or it could be even um, a social worker, has to provide services. Um, to that individual um, and ma- maintain records of that service. And then the third requirement, which is only for grantees, is that the services have to be within the scope of, of the grant. Or, uh, so for a federally qualified health center, for example, a section 330 grant, um, primarily is going to list primary care services so the services have to be provided within the scope of that grant primary care services but if those three parts are met then it's the pay, the individual is going to be considered a patient of the current entity. so a lot of times these safety net provider covered entities utilize software vendors such as uh, they're called 340 administrators to ensure that the prescriptions that are written are actually uh, being filled with 340 drugs for individuals that constitute a patient consistent with the covered entities policies and procedures in HRSA's 1996 patient definition. How do they ensure the drugs go into the right people? Uh, it's a complex mechanism, but basically you have to review the services that are provided to each individual by your healthcare professional team and ensure that the drugs that are purchased on the NDC 11-digit level, each drug actually is getting to those patients. They're not going to someone that never received services at the clinic. And one important note is just providing prescription services, pharmaceutical services alone, is insufficient uh, for an individual to qualify as a patient. Um, so I'll turn it over to, to Peggy, if Peggy, you have any points on um, Yeah, Yeah,
2: happy, happy to jump in, Mark. Just to amplify one of the things Mark said is that this is, uh, since 1996, an active and enforced and important component of the 340B program. Um, the program itself, going back to a little more history here, is that the program was never meant to give discounts directly to patients if you read the statute you'll understand that the safety net is what the authors of the bill were trying to get to get the discounts to the safety net and then allow those discounts to fulfill the intent of the law which is to provide more comprehensive services to more people so there is an absolute direct connection to patients but it isn't that this is a patient discount and a lot of people miss the finer point of that
0: well and those finer points are what get people into trouble which leads into my next question which are what are some examples of common 340b compliance violations
1: yeah so we just covered um diversion um that's one of the main Common points, even though uh, that has changed since 2019, there was a major lawsuit by South Carolina Fairly Qualified Health Center challenging HRSA's uh, Healthcare Resources Service Administration, the government's ability to enforce patient eligibility standards. We've seen a decrease in diversion findings, um, uh, you know, but we have seen duplicate discount findings, which I wanted to make sure we talk about under compliance. Compliance experts must understand that a manufacturer uh, should not be responsible for one offering the 340B discount to a covered entity and then simultaneously paying a rebate to a Medicaid program for that same discounted drug. It's one or the other. Either the manufacturer is paying, uh, offering the 340B discount or the manufacturer is paying a rebate to the state Medicaid agency. So. That's called the duplicate discount prohibition, and it's found in the statute. So there's two types of Medicaid, Medicaid fee-for-service and Medicaid managed care. Covering are responsible for preventing these duplicate discounts under Medicaid fee-for-service, that's straight Medicaid to the state Medicaid agency. So Generally, cover entities just choose not to bill state Medicaid fee for service claims. But you if they do choose to bill, they have to list their information in what we call a Medicaid exclusion file, which is maintained by the government, and it indicates that they're going that the covered entity safety net provider will be billing. Medicaid fee-for-service. A common compliance area is not properly filling out the Medicaid exclusion file and simultaneously billing Medicaid fee-for-service. The Medicaid exclusion file requires information such as the state Medicaid ID number, um, the states to which you're billing Medicaid, uh, the provider MPI, things of that nature. So filling out and properly filling out the Medicaid exclusion file is one way to prevent duplicate discounts because it notifies that you will be billing Medicaid fee-for-service. Another uh, common area of uh, concern with respect to diversion is when you have these virtual inventories, which mixes 340B inventory with other inventories, over-purchasing 340B inventory means that some 340B drugs are gonna go to ineligible patients. So we call it over-replenishment or over-purchasing. That is a diversion prohibition. And you violate the, diver, the diversion prohibition by over 340B drugs. So those are the common areas. I would say, the w- well, we could talk about how to avoid these common areas, but just note that there's been an uptick in duplicate discount violations. And I would say that's probably the main area that cover should should work to prevent um, di- uh, compliance issues. Also, review the Medicaid managed care PBM, pharmacy benefit manager, contract with your pharmacy. It has requirements, although HERSA doesn't enforce or doesn't have the authority to enforce those requirements, the Medicaid managed care organization may come back and audit your pharmacy and recoup. So you want to look at those contracts and, and, and oversee your pharmacy to make sure they're complying with Medicaid managed care organization contracts to prevent duplicate discounts.
0: Oh, and it sounds like the uh, impact there would be terrifically large to try and uh swallow for an organization. Well, um, Peggy, Mark, thank you both for sharing all these insights with us. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Triltaup from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.